honestly, I've had I have bad leadership. What made me say I wanted to be able to go and be a leader and treat people, students, and staff properly because I had bad leadership and mistreated me as an educator. Welcome to Black Educators Matter. This is more than a moment. It's a movement. Hey, it's Danielle. Welcome to Black Educators Matter. Our goal is to share the stories of 500 Black educators. We will celebrate the impact and achievements, learn from the lessons and challenges, and highlight the important roles that educators play in all of our lives. I'm excited to welcome today's guest to the show. As a do now, please tell us your name, your role in education, and answer the question, why do black educators matter? So I'm Dr. Natalie Williams McMahon. Um, I'm definitely an advocate for education. As you can see for myself, I've always, always went after my education. Um, it's important, especially in the black community, black education matters for, for one, Knowledge will take you so far, so far, so far. I remember back in the day, they used to say something like, um, reading is fundamental, and it is. If you know how to read, you can build your own home with your own hands just by reading step by step. So I think it's important for us as a black community, getting that knowledge, sticking to that education. Everybody is not going to be an NBA player, a rapper. School is important to us. Our ancestors and people fought for this for us. So it's definitely important for the people and the shoulders we stood on and for ourselves and our family and the kids that we're bringing up in this world. So black education matters. What is your role in education? My role in education, teacher and leader. I recently earned a doctorate in education and leadership. Congratulations. Thank you. Soon we'll be principal. Also, I started my own non-for-profit educational facility called the Canyon Wheel Health Foundation where I lead in president for people who need ESL and GED. So talk to us about the Can and Will Help Foundation. So number one, what is ESL? And then number two, we can walk through the GED because we're familiar with that. But what does ESL mean? So for people that do not know what ESL means, it stands for English as a Second Language. So it's for basically for people who want to go into the United States education and they need the English. So I work as an educator at the city colleges, Truman College colleges, and a lot of students come from different countries, and they know several languages, but they have to come here and know the English language in order to earn an education. So usually with ESL in a program like Truman have for adult education, they will go from ESL where they learn English into the GED program where they could earn the degree here, because usually their degree means nothing here. So ESL is important for students like that. I think it's a, a huge misconception that because someone does not understand the language, it means that they're stupid. And that used to be how kids who didn't speak English were treated in schools, right? Definitely. I mean, there's a big change now because they have a lot of programs and curriculum that can help students starting and starting so that they can have English as a second language. For example, they have courses usually with language arts for special teachers to help those so are the students uh, that you have dealt with regarding ESL, have they been mostly adults or have you also worked with K-12 students? To walk, walk us through your educational background, like how many different types of groups of students have you taught? 
So I've taught a, a wide range of students from elementary to college level. And I was a general education teacher for six years and I, where I taught fifth, fourth and fifth grade. And I taught language arts, math, social studies, and sciences. So they will always have a curriculum in language arts where you will modify lessons for students whose English was their second language or they were trying to learn English. And then I went on to study and teach in the college system where it was mainly adults that they learn English and earn a GED. And I had a lot of success doing that. I mean, if any of my students are out there, thank you for staying and being my students. And they still communicate with me and being successful afterwards. Was it difficult for the students that you uh, worked with helping them learn English? Was it difficult for them to pass the GED? In the beginning, I mean, one of the things I used to tell my students, I'm going to tell you guys out there, use what you have and know to get where you need to be. So they were offered ESL and GED courses in different languages as well. So if that was hard, for you to do it in the English language, then you have the opportunity to do it in like Spanish or English. So, so you could take the GED in a different language? Yes, mainly Spanish though. Yes, you could. But it's still important for those students because they living in the United States to just get that second language out there. Even if you're learning polite, like for me, I'm learning Spanish and I'm a little bit polite with it. And my students will help me with that. So what does that mean, polite? The communication would be good. What does polite mean? So polite is like polite when you, because I know they ask it on a lot of applications. When you know a different language, politely is like you can meet and greet with people in their language. Not like you can have polite conversation with somebody in yeah. their language. You can have a polite conversation like, hello, how are you? What's your name? What do you need? Like just main things where you can actually help them. So how did you transition from the classroom as a language arts teacher, elementary school, into the Can and Will Help Foundation and supporting adults as they learn English as a second language and pursue GED? Well, because I had the opportunity to be a professional leadership coach during my elementary to high school teaching when I taught at Simpson Academy for Young Women, I decided that I wanted to, yay, I decided that I wanted to be in a leadership position and work with adults. And that's when I got a position at Truman College. And I was like, I wanted to do something on my own to help those students. So what I did was I started my non-profit in education. And I had, I got some great students out of that. And since COVID-19, of course, I had to cancel classes and I missed my students and being in the facility and teaching you all. And also thanks to the, you students because with the Candy Wheel Health Foundation, we also have a givers group component where we help the homeless, where we prepare care packages and like simple things that homeless people need, like tissue and water and even a snack. So I thank you guys for even helping me do that. Shout out to the Can and Will Help Foundation. How have your experiences as a classroom teacher allowed you to? really establish this educational organization because those are different skill sets. You can be a great classroom teacher. It does not mean that you want to take that and establish and create an entire org. What made you say, I want to do this? Honestly, um, I've had, I have bad leadership. What made me say I wanted to be able to go and be a leader and treat people, students and staff properly because I 
had some bad leadership that mistreated me as an educator. And I used to say, it doesn't have to be this hard. When you are a leader and you were, especially in education, you're working so hard to give people knowledge. You should not mistreat your staff. So I said, once I get into the leadership, I was going to start something that not only helped the students, but people that work with and under me as well. Motivated me to create my own school. Because honestly, and it's sad, I was, I was mistreated as a teacher a couple of situations said, but you know what? It made me stronger in who I am today, and that's how I was able to start the Cannonwell Health Foundation. And I was there when you were going through some of that foolery. So I understand, and I know it, and I've seen it. How have you taken, though, some of that, like, that pain and that hurt from being mistreated by an administrator and made it make you a better administrator so that you will not do that to your teachers? Honestly, I, where I come from, it just when you treat people right with loyalty and respect, you can get better results. And that's just what my students will say, period. <laughs> so I just, it's just, you get better results. And, and why, if you're going to be in a leadership position and you want great results and you want those numbers to prosper, why wouldn't you treat or respect the people that work under you or with you as your team? It just doesn't make sense. So. It doesn't. Have you realized now because you are on the administration side, do you see some of the frustrations that exist as an administrator? Um, of course you do because it's hard work. I mean, uh, and it's my own dream and my own mission. So, of course, you're going to see some bumps in a row. But that don't mean you get to treat people like crap. And for me, I feel like the more brains you have, the better your idea can either prosper or you can come up with other innovative and creative ideas to help your business. This any business, period, not just in education. So I don't see the point in the negative energies when this is already a tough job. I'm, I always say, and I say this to my students, you got to work smarter, not harder. You do got to work smarter, not harder. The smart way is to, you know what, I want to utilize my staff and their ideas and their creative to build up my business, not to break them down. So, and that's especially in black education. We're already so far behind as a people in so many ways. And, and everybody know the history of that. So everybody we, don't know the history. Tell us the history, Dr. Natalie. Tell us. That's that's what I mean with the history of it. I mean, we couldn't even mingle and go to the same school, drink out of the same water fountain. It was illegal for us. To, to vote or like all types of things when it comes to education. So as black community, we have to work together, stand on it, like literally stand on it. It's okay. We can agree to disagree, but at the end of the day, working together is going to get us where we need to be. So we're talking about adult-to-adult relationships and treating each other better. What about how we treat kids in schools? Are schools designed for black children? To be honest, as a black educator and a black student from an urban neighborhood, um, which neighborhood was gentrified, Cabrini Green, and many others around the city. No. Talk to us about the history, because that's important, because that is also a reflection of education. So you're from Chicago? I am from Chicago. Did you go to Chicago Public Schools? Yes, I am. I'm a product of Chicago Public Schools. And your neighborhood, Cabrini Green, is now just, ain't that where they film Candyman? Yes, that is. Oh, my gosh. Everybody. Did you hear acts about the Candyman? <laughs> yes, that is what it is. So how did it, so for you, being from that neighborhood, seeing what it is now, how did it, how did it change? Did you feel it in school when you were growing up? 
yeah, I failed in the school. For example, I will never forget this one feeling I had. And this is when I started getting a little older in, in high school and doing my own research and being around. Well, we went to Lincoln Park High School. We had near North High School, but Lincoln Park was more multicultural. So you start learning and seeing other parts besides what you see in your neighborhood. So I'll never forget um, in elementary school, they would have this one section about Nat Turner. And they would be like, this rebellion, this rebellion, this rebellion, this thing would teach us about Nat Turner. But they would never teach us that he was basically, it was self-defense during slavery. And so until I started learning my own ways and learning how to research and just go back up, it was like, wait a minute. The way they taught us about Nat Turner was in one paragraph in these books. So was education directed towards our students and people? No. No, it's like a bunch of lies. Like to this day, like now I think they're not celebrating Columbus Day in the schools and giving Columbus credit for discovering America. That's just like I come in your house and I see a dollar on the counter and I say, ooh, I found a dollar. That's the big lie. And kill you and take your house. And kill me for the dollar. No, that's a big lie. That's my dollar. You did not discover that. That was already there. So there's no. And not just our people, a lot of different cultures that's here in the melting pot of the United States. Have we come a long way? Yes. But do we have a long way to go? Definitely. Absolutely. How do you use art to engage your students? Um, for those who know me and those who do not know me, I have a background in the arts, uh, film, and theater. So I will always use all of my theatrics and, you know, my acting skills to keep students involved. And um, I've always gotten great results for that because when you think about it, even with adults, when you think about it, when you're having fun, you definitely um, retain the knowledge better. So I would do a bunch of games and let students be creative and, one particular assignment I used to do every year in math was students can create their own math board games with the lessons that I would teach them be from adding to um, quadratics. But they would have to create their own math game, but they create the pieces, the rules, the board, and then each group of students that created, they would flip around and play the game. So now you know all the skills that you need to know instead of one skill. I love that you put all of that together because really education is about playing the game, understanding the rules, understanding what rules were meant for you, what was not meant for you. Like you said, we learned about Nat Turner as a rebellion in one paragraph, but that really was self-defense. So it depends on who is telling the story and you empower your kids to know how to create the rules so that they can tell their own stories and be in charge of it. Do you miss the classroom with the students, with the with the K to twelve students? I miss my students. I I, I definitely miss like just teaching overall and sharing and giving with the students. But I also, in addition, I mean, it's still leadership when you're in the classroom as a teacher, or if you're an assistant principal or dean, it's still a part of the classroom because I'm from the old school. Like parenting, it takes a village to raise a child. So I just, I just like, I love my teachers. You guys are awesome. Of course, I'm going to always be a teacher at heart. But it's just important for each role in the educational system to identify what the students really need, individually and as a whole. And one shoe size don't fit all in education. Yeah. So,
This is just one of many stories, and we want to keep the conversation going. Follow us on Instagram at blackeducators.matter and visit us online at www.blackeducatorsmatter.com. Now, back to our conversation. As a teacher or leader, if you have a creative way to figure out how you can do that, where you know what's fair for this student isn't fair for the next student because one student may be great at math and the other at reading. What you can do is put them together and so they can share it and then both of them could be great at both of those things. So yes. you have to be creative in a classroom and as a leader to make sure your staff, your teachers, and your students are prospering. Because you care enough to see them and their individual brilliance and you care enough to create an environment where they can put that brilliance on display. Instead of saying like, nope, you got to do this math problem. This is the problem. If you can't do this one problem this way, you are worthless. Instead, it's like, you brilliant. Let us figure out a way so you can grow your brilliance, showcase your brilliance. Right. So um, I used to do what they call homogeneous grouping. I, I just want you guys to see Danielle. And, and that is where you put people with different skill sets or people that love different things in the room. So for example, I might know how to draw and you may speak in public better. And this person may be a great note taker. So you put those three different people with those three different skill sets in one group and watch what happened. And then the next project, I will switch them up. Now you, you don't know how to draw. You uncomfortable with art, but guess what? You're going to get an experience in it and, you're going to learn that part. Then the next time, switch it up again. So not only do you have one skill set, now you have all three you learn from your peer. You created that collaborative classroom. So in addition to me learning, I get to also learn from my peers and I get to work with people to build something together, which allows me to learn leadership skills, knowing when to step up, when to step back, when exactly. All of that. It's, it's so much that can happen when you allow yourself to be creative. But sometimes in that space, because of testing, you can't be creative. So how did you balance that when you had to teach students in the K-12 system and you knew there was a curriculum you were being evaluated on? You knew that there were tests. How did you still create space for creativity? So this is why my the numbers didn't lie in my classrooms, guys. I'm sorry I'm patting myself in the back for that one. Because although we have to teach to the test, the way that I used to teach it was always fun. So um, I used to set my students up in teams and in games, and we would utilize the board. And, and I would put up a problem. I would say, you know, you have to know this skill, and I would teach them. If it was, there's more than one way that you can solve this problem, I would teach them all three, but I want you to do the one that's best for you. And so I would do those games, and then I would teach them, this is how the test is going to ask you, but this is how the real world uses this. So I would try to teach them multiple ways that they can see a math skill or a language art skill or something like that. Basically, while I'm teaching test-taking strategies, I'm also allowing the students to learn and be creative and have fun. And that's a lot. I mean, for me, it's easy, but for some teachers, that's a little bit hard. Yeah. But if you have it in your heart, it's going to be hard for you. So that's my advice to any new educator. You you must have this in your heart because we don't get into this field to be millionaires. Trust me. We get into it because we want to spread knowledge. We love teaching and we want other people to be successful in life. 
as an administrator, so we talked about your your experience from the teacher lens and how you helped create that space for learning. As an administrator, when you see oppressive practices happening at schools, when you see teachers not honoring the humanity of students, what do you do to address it? For me, I just <laughs> I, I have bust out my peers. I want to say um, because I don't deal well in unfairness and. I recall one time being in a room of other racists that talked about students from my neighborhood. And I, I just shut them down because they didn't know that that was the neighborhood that I was from. Come on, you better stand up for Cabrini Green. You she better stand up. So, um, I say, you know what? You really don't know people until you meet them. And I'm from that neighborhood that you're talking about. And I've gotten apologies for that. But also, I talked to my students that was from that neighborhood, and I told them, this is what's happening in the back room of my peers, what they think and how they're talking about you. You have an obligation to prove them wrong just because where you come from. And so once I kept it, I guess, real with my students, it's like, now what you going to do? You're going to get to step up or you're going to prove them right? And one, one thing I feel like that has success in a classroom with a teacher, administration, and peers or students is that you just really have to keep it real and have a rapport and respect for other people. That's just the first step, regardless of where they come from. When you were an educator, like when you were first starting out, because you were still an educator, when you were first starting out, did you experience that type of peer-to-peer classism or bullying? Like, based on where you from, people not knowing where you from, but talking stuff about that area. Like, did you deal with that? And if so, how did you deal with that? When you heard the adults talking crazy about the kids, but you used to be one of those kids. Um, I mean, I just listened first. And then I just, I guess, like I said before, I just busted out. Like, you know, you, you cannot judge a book by its cover. And that's when, like, after I explained, that's not right, and you never know what a student could do. And if you, you shouldn't get into this field of education if you're going to feel like that about students. And here, here am I, I'm from that neighborhood, and at one point, I still lived in that neighborhood. But so some people who knew me, you would see me going to school and work, and I still lived in the projects. I was going to the, the schools, and I would be the only black girl in the classroom, and um, when we had to do like the student teaching part and we had to go to different demographics of school and when they would go to the schools like George Manier or Schiller School in my neighborhood, I would just listen to them. And don't get me wrong because I want to send some um, shout outs to some parents that I grew up with who a lot of their kids are in college now or graduated from college and became people. I appreciate you guys proving them wrong. But I also want to talk to the parents that even if you didn't get the opportunity to get the education you, that you wanted, you still have to put that into your children because it starts at home. It starts at home, you know? And for me, I always want it better than where I came from in the situation that I come from. And so a lot of those teachers, they're not multicultural and they could never understand or put their feet in our shoes. So I, I come from the struggle and a lot of you guys know, you know what, well, and I'm proud to say the sobriety of my parents well. You cannot just talk about these kids like that. You know what I'm saying? You don't know what they're going through at home. So when they come here, this is a safe haven for them. 
socially, emotionally, and academically. So when they come in here, you have to do something different. And once again, oh, I apologize, I didn't know. Yeah, you didn't even want to research or get to know either. So you just have to be careful. And as once again, on this platform that black education and black educators matter, we just have to stand up, you know, although we're going for what we want, if we're going to be in this field, we got to stand up for our youth so that they can understand and make this different. And we we got to stand up for our youth and who we are as that connectedness to that youth, because it'll be our peers that'll have that same bias against kids, against us as professionals. And then those those people with those biases will become administrators and then they will disrespect because they never value. They didn't value you as a kid. They didn't value you as a peer. They not going to value you when you report to them. So I'm glad. I am glad that you checked them and I'm proud of you because I was in a space once and I heard white colleagues talking about an educational institution. And like you said, I just listened. I didn't go to that school, but I was just, my mind was boggled that these educators were talking about this school the way that they were because I knew who comes out of that school. So if you disrespecting the school, that means you disrespecting the talent. That means you disrespecting all of these people who clapped for this degree because we fought for that degree. But y'all don't even value it. And that's why it is important to make sure that we have black educators valuing each other all the time. And it's, it's important to have black educators in our schools for our own schools. Um, I'm not saying that like other races, we can't teach each other things. But it's important. It's important for us to give our students our experiences because we have a long way to go. We have a long way to go. We, we have to let our students know. It start with us, guys. Let our students know what's important, why we have to fight for the education, why we need to educate our students on black owned businesses, like sticking together for a black owned business so that we can start building for our you know, youth like that. We it's can sick. and will help each other. Yes, can and will help we each other. We can and will help each other. Who are some black educators that you would like to thank as you reflect on all of your experiences as a black girl in Chicago, as an educator, as a nonprofit founder, as a future administrator, who are black educators that you want to thank? Honestly, and I always said I, I did an icebreaker with the people and they asked me, um, if you could talk to anybody, who, who would it be? Them? Two of those people, although these two people had different rules and they went about things differently, it, it would be Malcolm X and Martin Luther King because they were some excellent black educators. Although they had different views and the way they went about things, I learned so much from them. I learned so much from them. So I really want to give props to those two black, excellent, educator men. Thank you for coming on the podcast and sharing your experiences and walking us through um, your journey. How can people connect with and support the Can and Will Help Foundation? And is there are there any initiatives going on that we can support? So the Can and Will Help Foundation, you can go to www.canwillhelpfoundation.org and um, you can donate funds or either items for the Givers Group. But the initiative I, I have and I'm waiting once everything starts back opening up is I have um, where students can earn volunteer hours, high school students, 
where they can earn credit through their schools or even if they want to come and do a project, they can come and help prepare at least five care packages for the homeless or they can write a two-page paper explaining why it's important to give back in their community and they can earn up to five credit hours. That's amazing. So that is that information is available on the website now? That information is available on on the website now and hopefully once everything clear and everybody lives safe and healthy so we can get this COVID-19 up out of our world we can get back to it and I want to say congratulations to your 2020 graduates I'm so proud of you from elementary all the way through college and grad school I, I'm so happy and proud of you especially during these hard times you got still online doing face-to-face -face, social distancing and I know it's hard for you guys right now, especially my high school students who are preparing for prom. I love you guys, and I'll see you guys soon. Beautiful message. Beautiful message to the class of 2020. We appreciate you, Dr. Natalie Williams-McMahon. And I want to thank you for coming on the show again and say that everything that you do in the classroom and beyond, it was, it is, and it always will be worth it. So thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you inviting me on your show. And thank you guys for watching and hanging in there with me. I appreciate you all as well. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Black Educators Matter. Remember, make excellence equitable and thank a Black teacher today.